Well, I think for a lot of us, when it comes to uh, different books that we read, or if it's movies that you watch, um, we oftentimes like to have closure to things. We like to have uh, resolve, as it's known to be, where, where things sort of come together and, and conclude in a way that makes us feel good. And uh, sometimes people really like happy endings. They like things that sort of come together nicely and Maybe for some it's sort of predictable, but at least you feel good at the end because it's like it makes sense. There's resolve to it and so on. Um, the story of Deuteronomy, the story of Moses that we've been looking at in these past weeks is one that actually doesn't quite resolve that way. It has a bit of a surprise ending, and, and some of you love surprise endings. You like those things that leave you hanging or take a bit of a twist and, and sort of end in a way that's different than you might expect. Uh, but that's a number, that's really how Deuteronomy concludes in many ways. And today we, we come to the end of this journey, this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness that Moses has been leading the people in. Uh, and if you remember, 38 of those years out of direct response to disobedience, direct disobedience to God that happened early on in this journey and Moses' leading, uh, leading of this people. And so in Deuteronomy, as we'll see today, and we're going to look at the very last chapter, so you can already turn there and, and turn to the very last chapter, chapter 34, it's, uh, it's a story that in some ways leaves you hanging, at least until you get into the book of Joshua and continue on, but it, it leaves you hanging in, in many ways that Moses' era is done, Joshua's leadership era is now beginning, and there is a chapter in the life of the people of Israel that is complete, uh, even though there is so much yet that is unknown, so much yet that, that lies ahead. And so as I said, it, it's a, an ending that is kind of unique and different. And it's kind of like this. Imagine, imagine if you will, uh, it, that today was my last sermon ever, okay? Imagine, if you will, that today was my last day at the church. In fact, it was the last day that you're going to even see me ever again, because when the service is done today, I'm going to walk out, go out, climb up Mount Blackstrap, and die. Okay? Now, I'd be different. You'd probably listen differently. You'd be attentive differently. But that's how this book of Deuteronomy ends. I mean, that's how it, it concludes with Moses, is this last sermon that he gives, and then he just sort of walks up onto this mountain, and he goes there to die. And the era is finished. It's over. Quite a dramatic ending, different ending to the story. Uh, in this last couple of weeks, or these last two weeks of this series, we've been focusing intentionally on Moses himself. Uh, a lot of the previous weeks, we've been looking at the people of Israel and also through all of that, looking at the character of God and understanding who God is and what he is doing amongst these people. But uh, last week and this week, we want to focus on Moses specifically. And, and last week, we looked at uh, the question of what is your legacy? And we asked that question around and Moses and what his legacy was and, and what was all a part of that. And we talked about the fact that when we think about our lives, when we think about what God is doing in our lives, that we have to pay attention to both the miraculous and the mundane, right? And for many of us, for most of us, I would say, there's far more that is mundane in our lives than there is miraculous. It's kind of the trotting out of daily life and of Walking in obedience, one step in front of the other after another, and just sort of placing our feet in a common direction. And in many ways, that's what the life of Moses was, even in his leadership role. Uh, but it uh, also, as we'll see today, 
and it's referred to today, he also had much that was miraculous. But last week we looked at three aspects of his leadership legacy that we can see that he left among his people and has been left for us. The first one being this legacy of words, not the least of which is just the words of Deuteronomy and the books that precede it, these words of Moses that are given to us now in Scripture. But also the words that he spoke to the people of Israel, the, the words of, of a song that we talked about last week, the words of, of blessing that he gave to the people of Israel, of blessing all of the tribes, the words of encouragement and be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So this legacy of words, he also left the legacy of leadership, of, of raising up others and, and of walking with someone like Joshua and handing this off to Joshua uh, to carry it on into the next generation. And then the last one we looked at last week was this legacy of finishing well and how Moses finished well. And I know that so many people talk that way and they say, you know, I want to I finish well and I want to I do that. But we also know, sadly, that too often that is not the case for people. That we don't finish our life well in one way or another. We talked about the fact that if anybody had any reason to be bitter at the end, I think it would be Moses. And yet he didn't seemed to show any signs of bitterness, but he continued to walk in obedience and faithfulness and responsiveness to God, and he finished well. So this tremendous legacy that we looked at last week of what Moses has left for us. Today, the question that I want to ask and the the question that I want to have us framed in our mind is this question of, of what is your promised land? What is it that is your promised land? What is it that is my promised land? And we're going to look at what was Moses's promised land because it seems to me uh, that that Moses's promised land seemed to shift at the end of his life it changed we're going to look at that we're going to test that so let's turn to Moses or sorry to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 34 and just read this short chapter that concludes this incredible book and again it's right after the chapter that precedes it where Moses is giving a blessing to all of the tribes of the people of Israel and then, he, and then it gives this conclusion. It says, Then Moses went up to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pishkah, Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan, all the land of Naphtah, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah extending to the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, the Jordan Valley with Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zor. And then the Lord said to Moses, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have now allowed you to see it with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. And so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in a valley near Beth Peor in Moab, but to this day, no one knows exactly the place. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear. He was as strong as ever. The people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, doing just as the Lord had commanded Moses. There has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. The Lord sent him to perform all the miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land. With mighty power, Moses performed terrifying acts in the sight of all Israel. It's quite an ending. It's quite an intriguing story. 
And even here right at the end, it, it does make reference to some of the miraculous in Moses' life, doesn't it? It says some remarkable things happened in Moses' life. God used him in remarkable ways. There was considerable miraculous in his life. Going right from that first call of God that he found in the wilderness of the burning bush that he saw that God calling him to this ministry, to uh, rescuing the people out of Egypt and out of slavery where the plagues came down upon the people at Moses' command. I mean, God used Moses in that way and he saw astounding things to leading the people out of Egypt and then the parting of the Red Sea and seeing the miraculous in that way to the water that comes from a rock, to the manna that that forms on the ground, to the quail that came and fed the people. I mean, story after story of miraculous things that Moses experienced and that God showed him were part of his story. There's no doubt about it. There's never another prophet like him. You know, you can think of Moses' life really in three segments. It says in this text that he lived 120 years. and You can kind of take his life and divide it up into three 40-year segments. And last week we talked a little bit about that first one, about you know being, being rescued right there at birth and now being raised in the household of Pharaoh, being raised in a place of privilege, having this dual identity of being a, a Hebrew man and yet at the same time being raised in this Egyptian world. And so those first 40 years in many ways were a, a, a time of self-effort, maybe privilege, achievement. It was a unique time for him. The next 40 years, the, the second, third one-third segment of his life was when he went and he fled into the wilderness because he killed the Egyptian man, all of a sudden feeling this identity with the, with the uh, Hebrew people. And then he had to flee for his life, and he went out into the wilderness of Midian, and he became a shepherd for 40 years. So that next segment was really a segment of solitude and insignificance in many ways. And then there's this last chapter that we've largely been looking at in Deuteronomy, this last 40 years of his life of faith, humility, and obedience. Of just leading the people of Israel. Leading them as God called them to lead these people in faithfulness as we've been looking at over these weeks. Uh, D.L. Moody says it this way. He, he gives this quote. He says, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning that he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do through a nobody. And there's truth in that. 40 year segments of his life that were very, very different and how God used them in very different ways in his life. So here he is at 80 years old after the two, first two segments of his life and about to embark on this incredible journey that we've been reading about in Deuteronomy of leading the people of Israel to this promised land. 80 years old at a time when like most people are kind of kicking back and thinking about a rocking chair, thinking about some kind of retirement dreams, whatever that looks like in different people's minds, of whatever that might be, but definitely winding down. And yet Moses was just ramping up. He was just getting started. Moses was just kind of getting it going. It was the most effective, productive time of his life was that last segment of his life. Made me think, and We've mentioned it here before, and many of you know uh, more of this story than I do, but I think of John Weens and, and his wife, Ev, and somebody who has connection, deep connection to this church. And uh, the thing that astounds me about John's story, he was a pastor, church planner for over 35 years, and then went to be a missionary in the last years of his life. And how at about 64 years of age, walked into the MB Missions office and said, you know, Lord willing, I have maybe 10 good years of strength and life ahead of me. 
send me somewhere. Now that is an audacious statement to make. But at 64 years of age to go into that office and say, you know what? Where, do, where is their need and where can I serve? Where can Evan and I go and serve in the mission field? And so they were sent to the Ukraine to go church plant for the next 10 years. And church plant they did, blessing so many people and, and so many churches that today are ministering in the conflict that is happening in the Ukraine with Russia right now are those who have been mentored and discipled by John and Ev Kron, or John and Ev, uh, Ev Weems, and, and who have served in that setting in that way. And then in 2013, November, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer, died six weeks later, very suddenly. 70 years old. Hadn't fulfilled that 10 years. So much that was left undone. So much that was left still to do. So much that was needed to be complete from a worldly point of view. And yet so much that had been accomplished for the kingdom of God. I think of that story and it challenges me. And it's not so dissimilar to Moses' story of, of wanting to use those last that last era of his life in the most significant way, whatever way God would want to use him. And that's how Moses approached this task that God had given him. And so, so much of Moses' life was tied to this land. It was tied to this promise, tied to this vision. And there was this theology and this reality of the land that was there for the people of Israel that was so significant for them and so much of their focus because of the promises that God had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even to this day, which is where so much of this conflict, this modern-day conflict comes in in that region, because of these promises, because of these understandings of what God had said. And now here is Moses at the end of his life, and he seems at peace. He seems to not be kind of churning and restless and rest, you know, wrestling with things, but he, he's, he's able to let go. And it's almost like his promised land has become different. It's changed. One author, uh, Ruth Haley Barton, she makes this argument. She says, you know, it seems that his promised land shifted from this destination, from this physical land, this land of Canaan, to simply the desire and the longing for the presence and the intimacy of God. That his promised land was now just to know God and the intimacy of God and this relationship with God and that that was enough. You know, it wasn't always that way for Moses. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 3, you see a text there that records some of his pleading and some of his angst and some of his frustration with this consequence of his sin, which when we look at that, it was seemed like a kind of an insignificant sin. When God had asked him to, to speak to the rock and actually call out water, he hit the rock, and it seems like maybe out of frustration or whatever, and it was because of that that God said, no, you can't enter the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 3, if you go back there to verse 23, 24, 25, it says this, At that time, I pleaded with the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, you have only begun to show your greatness and the strength of your hand to me, your servant. Is there any God in heaven on, on, or on earth who can perform such mighty, great and mighty deeds as you do? Please let me cross the Jordan to see the wonderful land on the other side, the beautiful hill country and the Lebanon mountains. And he's pleading with God. Here early on, and God says, no, you will not enter the promised land. It will be Joshua. These harsh realities, and yet Moses is struggling with it here earlier on. But now when we come to the last chapters of Deuteronomy, you don't see any evidence of that. There's no, any, there's no evidence of that 
yearning of that crying out to God. And he cried out to God many times on behalf of the people and other things. He pleaded with God face to face. And there's no evidence of that here in these last chapters. It's, it's just this sense of peace and of blessing and obedience and of walking in the way that God is calling him to walk. Quite astounding for a man, as it says in this text, that was still strong. I mean, it says that he was 120 years old, but he climbs the mountain. It's quite a thing to do when you're 120 years old. And it says he's as strong as he ever was. His eyesight was as good as it ever was. And I don't know what the distance is from from Pishka Peak all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, but it's a long ways, and it says that he could see all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. His eyesight was pretty good. Okay? And it says that in in Deuteronomy 34, verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as ever. So here he is, even at this stage of life, with great strength, great capacity still, probably thinking, I got lots more I can do. I have much more to offer. And God says, no, your time is done. Time to hand it off. Time to move on. Time to let it go. And he does. And he doesn't fight with God about it. He just says, it is good. And it seems like things had changed for him. It seems like his promised land was different. So what is your promised land? What is it that is your destination that just seems to be the thing that you're striving towards, moving towards, that is significant for you? What is it that will measure success in your life or significance in your life when that last day comes? What consumes your hours, your days, your time, your money, What is it that you've prayed towards and prayed for and prayed about earnestly? What is it that you've sacrificed for, expended untold energy towards? What is your theology of success? What have you felt that God has promised you? Maybe what is it, if you're truly honest, that you have felt that maybe God owes you? What would your neighbors say as they observe your life that your promised land is? You know, these are just some of the questions that I think are helpful for us as we wrestle with that thought of, okay, what is truly our promised land? What is it that we we look towards? What is it that we long for? What is it that ultimate goal that we want to sort of accomplish before our time here on earth is done? I think for, for many of us, maybe most of us, in our more pious moments or whatever they are, we... We, we might say that, you know, we just want that intimacy with God. We want that dependence on, on God, that we want to know Him and be obedient to Him. We might say that, but yet when we actually look at some of these other questions and, and answer them honestly, we might slowly start to see that we have a shadow mission that happens in our lives as well, too. And sometimes there are these shadow missions, as some refer them to, that these things that sort of are parallel along our lives, and even with the great intentions of how we want to walk in obedience to God, there are these other things that distract us and actually start to consume our time and our energy and our focus and they start to take more control over our lives if we allow them to. They're not necessarily bad things. They're just sort of a bit of a shadow of what God is truly wanting for us. You know, as I have reflected on the people of Israel in this book of Deuteronomy and as you look back to the the books that also preceded, these were a people who had a unique relationship with God. These were a people who had that intimacy with God. They were a special called out people who had a unique calling, a unique role, a unique relationship that God had given them. And and it was different than any other people. If you go back and you look in in Numbers chapter 9, and in that text you will see 
this story that is told of the cloud that, that came over the tent of meeting that happened there. And they would set up camp in the wilderness and they would set up uh, this tent of the meeting. This is where Moses would go in and would meet with God. But, but this cloud would hover over this tent. And it says there in that text that when the cloud moved, they moved. And sometimes the cloud would come and descend on this tent for just a night. The next day it would lift and it would start to move. And they would pack up camp and they would start to walk. Other times it would stay there for a couple of days. Other times it would stay there for a couple of weeks. Other times it would stay there for more than a year. But these were people who were living a responsive life. These were people who knew intimately this living God who was their God, which is what their covenant was all about. I am the Lord, your God. And they learned to walk in intimacy and obedience and dependence. And when that cloud lifted, they were a people who understood that it's time to go because God is on the move and we need to move with him. What a unique relationship. What an astounding relationship that they had. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 45, uh, he says it this way. He says, speak, God is speaking through this prophet. He says, I do not whisper obscurities in some dark corner. I would not have told the people of Israel to seek me if I could not be found. And God is saying, I'm not a God who can't be found. I'm a God who desires relationship with you. And if you seek me, truly seek me, you will find me. There is intimacy to be found. And then you think of Moses and the intimacy that he had with God. And again, what a unique relationship. I think for many of us, we look at that and go, man, that's a part of his life that I might be envious of. There's many other parts of his life that I'm not envious of, but that's a part like, of, of just having that intimacy with God, uh, of somebody who knew God like that. As it says in, in 34, Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, there has never been another prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. That's quite a statement. And if you go back into the book of Exodus in chapter three, uh, 33, when, when God did meet with Moses in the tent of meeting and that cloud would descend on that tent, and what would happen is, is that the other leaders of the family would stand beside their tent. They would actually go out and they would stand beside their tent when Moses walked into the tent of the meeting. And they would stand there and they would wait until Moses came out. It was just such a holy moment that they would stand and wait as God met with Moses face to face. And it says in in Exodus 33, verse 11, it said, inside the tent of the meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. What an astounding relationship that is unique and different than any other person that we see throughout all of Scripture. That that Moses had this intimacy, this relationship. And, And it's when he comes to the end of his life, I think that's why He didn't need this promised land. There was no role or no responsibility or no destination now that defined him. It was just this intimacy with God, this obedience to God of knowing God. This was his promised land. He was at peace. Again, author Barton writes this, Moses' whole life can be viewed through the lens of his private encounters with God and how his soul was strengthened through those encounters. He did not seem to have any great strategies for leadership except to seek God in solitude and then carry out what God revealed to them there. I mean, here's a man who just learned to walk in obedience, who just spent time in intimacy with God, alone with God, face-to-face with God, and then just responded to how God was speaking to him. I think it's true that every one of us is probably in one camp or another when it comes to these two categories. And you think about which category is yours. My experience tells me that, that everybody is either a journey person or a destination person, right? 
I mean, the journey people, they're all about the journey. They're all about, you know what, it's all about the process and about how we get there, and it's about stopping along the way, and summer's a time of lots of different travel and family movements of different places, and so you want to stop and enjoy the journey. The destination people can't stand that. It's like, let's just get from point A to point B. Let's just get there. Let's be done with this, right? Okay. Journey people? Oh, I see those hands. Destination people? Yeah, I know. And you're usually often sitting beside each other, which causes a real problem at times. That's part of our family context. I won't say who's what. You can figure that one out. I want to just argue for a minute here today why I think journey people are more spiritual. (laughs) Destination people, you can tell me why I'm wrong later. But God uses our journey to train us in obedience, right? That's what he did with Moses. That's what he did throughout Deuteronomy. I mean, he uses the journey to train Moses and the people of Israel in obedience. That's what the journey was all about. I mean, that's what the wandering was all about. It was so important. The journey was everything. The destination was important, but Moses never even got to see it. I mean, he never even ended up there. He never got to go in. Forty years of journey. Forty years. I can't imagine that. So a question for all of us, I think, whether you're a journey person or a destination person, and I, I just want you to know that God loves both, okay? But a question for us is, how will you choose to allow your journey to shape you? Or maybe another way to put it is, how will you allow God to shape you in your journey? God is always at work in our lives. God is, is doing things in our lives. Again, he's doing both the mundane and the miraculous. And a lot of times there's a lot of mundane in our journey, but how are you allowing God to shape you in your journey? Are you attentive to the things of his spirit, of what he wants to speak to you? Do you have a desire to have that intimacy with God and to draw close to him so that he can speak to you? Do you give yourself those quiet moments, those intentional times that you set aside to just be still and know that he is God, that he can speak to you and train you in responsiveness and in obedience? I think for many of us, we, we struggle with obedience. Uh, we struggle with intimacy in, in a number of ways. And, and the, the thing that I want us to sort of focus on at the end here is, is the, the connection between intimacy and obedience. Because I think what we realize is that intimacy with God comes out of obedience to God. And we see that in Moses. We see that in the people of Israel. We see that in this story. And I think for, for many of us, we, we do feel that there's often this gap between what we desire and what is our reality when it comes to our walk with God. And so how is it that we close that gap? How is it that we, we bring that closer together so that our desire and, and maybe what we proclaim about it or what we talk about it or, or where our faith is at intellectually and what our experience actually is in reality on a day-to-day basis, that we can close that gap and that there can be increasing intimacy. I think it comes as we learn to walk in obedience, which is so important. There are things that are, are, are critically important to our intimacy with God. Knowing God's word, studying his word, being in scripture, understanding what God's word said, because this is the primary source of how we get to know and to understand God. Absolutely important. Time in prayer, time in the word, all of these things that are part of our, our core values at church of dependence in Jesus Christ, of just spending time with him. Many of you saw, and, and, and hopefully, well, I know many of you, about 182 people did this survey that we sent out in a number of weeks ago. And one of the questions or statements on this survey was related to this. And it was a statement that said this, 
I read my Bible and pray on my own as a regular part of my worship. And uh, I think we have a slide on that. And it shows, you can see the bars there. The top one is never, then seldom, occasionally, most of the time, always or almost always. This is a very encouraging response, actually. Out of 182 responses, it says that 70% of the people said that, that the answer to this is like most of the time or always. That's very encouraging. Now, it didn't in this one ask about, okay, what is the frequency of that? Other research, Lifeway research, says that almost one in five churchgoers or about 20% of the people actually state that they never read their Bibles. Never. Which is about the same amount, 20%, that say that they read their Bibles on a daily basis. So what I'm getting at is that one of the most important things when it comes to intimacy with God is just knowing his word, spending time in scripture and in prayer. And do we do that? Because we will not know God and intimacy without scripture and prayer. But as we've seen in Deuteronomy, it's also more than that. It's about obedience to God. Intimacy with God comes from this obedience to his word. When Jesus tells the parable in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount about the two houses, one being built on the rock and one being built on the sand, if you remember that story. And and the common thing is is that both people are building houses, which is a metaphor for, for your life that is happening. Both houses experience storms, which we all experience storms in our lives. But then it says there's a significant difference between the two. And the difference is this. One is building their house on the rock and one is building their house in the sand. And that one will crumble and fall when the storm comes. The difference of the rock and the sand, they both hear the word, but one of them obeys the word. It says the one that builds their house on the rock is the one that hears the word of God and obeys the word of God. The one that builds their house on the sand is the one that just simply hears the word of God but doesn't obey. And if you want that intimacy with God and and that your life can withstand the storms that come, it's not just knowing the word of God and hearing the word of God, but it's actually walking in obedience to the word of God. In James chapter 1, verse 22, James says this. He says, don't just listen to God's word. He says, do what it says. This is what it means to walk in faith. When Jesus was in the garden at Gethsemane and he was on that, that um, time right before his cruci- crucifixion and he is there praying before his heavenly father and he is actually asking his heavenly father to remove this cup from me, if you will. But then he also says in a very intimate way, he says, but Lord... If it is your will that I drink of this cup, then thy will be done. So even for Jesus with his heavenly father, his intimacy came out of obedience. His intimacy came out of walking in obedience to God's will, not his will. The apostle Paul says the same thing. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And again, he says to die is a benefit because I'll be with Jesus. So that's a great thing. But for me to live is Christ. In other words, to live in obedience to Christ, that's what it means to live. And so he knew this obedience as well. We've been given God's spirit now as new covenant people. We've been given the spirit of God within us to walk in intimacy with God. And, and Jesus says that I'm going to leave you my spirit so that you will know me. And that also so that we will be able to walk in obedience. That we will know the voice of God and be given the strength and the courage and the ability to walk in it. To walk in those ways. I want to just have us think about maybe four things that we learned from this story in Deuteronomy. So I've been reflecting on some summary things and, and at least from this text today. Maybe four things that we can learn about God in this story. And what it means to walk in obedience. First of all, God is a God who keeps his promises. Always. 
Even in Moses' death, he kept his promises. Second thing that we learn from Deuteronomy as we reflect on this text is that God does more through our lives than we will ever see. And sometimes we just think that we're only walking in the mundane, that there's no miraculous happening whatsoever. But we know through this story, and we know as we go into the New Testament, we know from our own lives and the lives of others that God is always at work, and there are things that are happening that we do not see in this lifetime. There are things that are happening in our lives that God is doing that we will not understand in this lifetime. That's why it's called faith. Thirdly, that God weaves together our story with others, with those who have gone before us, with those who come after us, and and he has a bigger purpose for our story. We need to trust that and understand that, that regardless of, of what we accomplish, how big or how little, whatever we think that that might be, that whatever we have done for the kingdom of God, it is incomplete without the story of others. It's part of God's bigger work. And then fourthly, that there is an intimacy with God that comes out of obedience. This truth that, that intimacy with God comes of obedience and faithfulness, just like we saw in the life of Moses as he walked with his people and he walked in obedience, there was an intimacy that came from that. And if we think that we will have that intimacy of God if we're not willing to walk in obedience, it's not going to happen. We see in Scripture where it talks about our hardened hearts. And it's like, do we have soft hearts towards God that are responsive to his spirit and to his work in our lives that we are able to walk in obedience in the small things, the mundane things, and the big things? And what does that look like for each one of us? Last week we ended by just uh, looking into the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11. And that great chapter of the heroes of the faith and this idea that, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And how at the end of that, including the story of Moses that is included in there in the last verse, it says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. That whole idea that our stories are connected to their stories. And our stories are connected to those who will come after us. And there is something that God is doing that is bigger than just our lifetime. Then if you keep reading in Hebrews chapter 12, it's where I want to leave us and, and end off today. After it talks about these heroes of these faith and these people who all live their lives with a measure of disappointment, In other words, they went to their graves thinking there are things that are so unfulfilled. There are things that I feel like God has left unmet, these promises that I thought I had from God. And yet in Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 4, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. This text, says, strip away everything that distracts, including the sin. Yeah, there's the sin that we need to go to the cross and repent of and have God root out of our lives and change. But then there's also those other things that it talks about. Not necessarily the sin, but maybe just these shadow missions in our lives that distract us and and draw us away from what God really has for us. And let us strip away all of those things and let us keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Moses was able to do that right to the very end. 
And at this point, he didn't know Jesus other than through God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that he experienced in that time, in that era. But we have the Holy Spirit of God living with us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And this is to be our promised land, knowing Jesus and walking in obedience to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible story in Deuteronomy of the people of Israel that you have called out into a unique relationship. Thank you that you call leaders of different kinds and different seasons and for what you called into Moses' life and how you used him, such an imperfect and even sinful man, and yet you used him for your bigger purposes. And Father, I pray that for each one of us here that we would find encouragement in that. I pray for each one of us here that you would help us to walk in obedience, that you would help us to know a deeper intimacy with you. And Father, that we would be attentive to your Holy Spirit's work in our lives in new ways. And God, that your Spirit would do a new work in us as individuals and as a church. And Father, that we would know you more intimately and more deeply. And so God, we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.